This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Conan, Dennis Dick, Mitch Hotch with you this morning. It has already been a day. It was, I feel like we had a relatively quiet couple of weeks, uh, and the market this morning has been anything but that. We, of course, got the stimulus deal over the weekend. There is this also a new strain of the virus that we're dealing with over in Europe, market factoring both those things in this morning. Uh, and it's been volatile. So we'll talk about that. We have other non-macro news. We had the uh, stress test results from the, from the Fed on Friday. Uh, they are allowing buybacks again. So the banks are moving off that headline. We're, of course, going to talk about Tesla. Today is their first day in the S&P 500. That was crazy at the close on Friday. We have one. We have a couple m and deals, some small m and deals this morning to get to. A uh, reminder, it's also a short week. Markets are closed on Friday and close early on Thursday. Uh, we had Nike earnings as well. So just a lot going on. Busy, busy show. Our guest today is Michael Pachter from Whitebush Securities. He will hopefully join us at 8.35. But with or without Michael, we got a lot to get to. Before I throw it to Joel, I want to remind you, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button to get notified as soon as we go live. Joel, as best you can, it's been a crazy morning. Recap it for us. Uh, crazy morning, crazy night, even with the stimulus package and the overnight news. Uh, big old range. If uh, you were so inclined to short the all-time high in the S&Ps, uh, you could have got filled last night. Friday's high, 37.23. Your high, 37.24. As you can see, we came unraveled. Got all the way down to 35.96. Slipped under 3,600, so 100 and 28-point range overnight. Very rare occurrence here in the index. We have bounced back. Uh, looking at just mid-range, 52.75, but that's just not a great number here because the way we came slicing, dicing through it. Uh, crude, finally, uh, giving back some of its monster rally. That's down 100, 100. A buck 75 and 47.49. Gold in the red by 350 at 1885.40. Silver going the opposite way, going up 23.7 cents at 26.28. And Bitcoin flirted, got over 24,000 overnight, but uh, now in your red by $325, 22,535. Are we looking at another double top in Bitcoin at 24,000 triple D? Not worrying about Bitcoin. That's the least of our concerns is Bitcoin here right now. We have other concerns and Bitcoin is not one of them. And obviously the major concerns is this mutation. Spencer, tell us, you know, what we've seen over the weekend over in the UK, because this is the reason that we were down at one point, almost a hundred handles. 
Yeah. So UK is basically on all out lockdown right now <laughs> as they approach this this Brexit deadline. This is not helping things here, uh, but the, the country is basically on lockdown. The borders are closed. You can't get in or out. Goods can't get in or out. You can't even get to the southeast part of the country. They've basically blo- blocked off that area. People can't really travel. You can't really move within the country. So there was this new strain. They're calling it B117. Uh, they're saying it could be up, and I say could because we, there's a lot we still don't know here, could be up to 70% more contagious than the original COVID-19 strand. Uh, every doctor that I saw over the weekend said, yes, we knew this was going to happen. Viruses mutate. That's what they do. We've just discussed this on our show as well. So no real surprise. The only concern is, is A, is it more, it's more, seems to be more transmissible, and B, we don't really know how effective uh, our vaccines would be against it. Uh, though the the assumption would be that it would take a longer period of time for the vac to, for the virus to mutate away from the vaccine, but again, we don't know. That's the key thing is we really yeah. don't know. So there is this new strain of the virus. It it's it's contagious enough that they caused uh, UK to basically shut themselves down more so than they ever have been at any point this year. Um, and so that's that's what's overtaking the sentiment of the stimulus deal this morning is the yeah, fear yeah. of this new strain. Because we had a lot of good news. Friday night, we had the banks coming out and they're allowed to do buybacks and raise their dividends. And you saw all the banks just ripping after the close. And then, you know, we get this news over the weekend of this mutation and strain and you start wondering, okay, well, what's going to, you know, is the market going to shrug it off? Are they going to be spooked about it? But they hammered the European markets and then eventually, obviously, it's spilled over in our markets too. I mean, the question is, the million dollar question is, does the vaccine work on this mutated strain we they asked scott gottlieb that just a few minutes ago on cnbc and he um said he suspects that it would but he also suspects that eventually will mutate to a point where you're going to have to update the vaccines so i think the market will just want to know the question though does it work against this one and i don't know if we have the answer to that question yet i mean we can speculate that okay it hasn't mutated enough that it will be effective against it but if the answer is no like if we find out that no, the vaccines do not work on this new mutated strain, that's like a big hole in the whole reopening thesis. You know, that was what you know we were concerned about. You know, this would have been the one scenario where the reopening could be delayed significantly. Um, so we need to we need more information. Um, the information that you know, if, if you're looking at you know coming in here and you can't help yourself, you have to buy the dip, and if you don't have stocks. I would buy the technology companies. I mean, we're seeing, you know, they're already starting to show some relative strength here. But, you know, earlier this morning, we had some technology companies just getting hammered uh, along with the overall market. I mean, we know Apple seems to work in, obviously, a, a lockdown or reopening. I own Apple. We know Amazon works probably even to their benefit in a lockdown. Amazon's still down 13 bucks, but it's off the lows here. I own Amazon. Um, Google works in those environments as well and some of your smaller tech plays you know work in this environment as well so am i jumping into the zooms and the pelotons no because if the reopening comes back they'll hammer those stocks right back down so and and the valuations you know obviously just turned me off of those all completely but i mean that's the question we don't have enough information to just blatantly go and start buying the dips and the cruise lines and the airlines and the casinos because if the answer to that question that the vaccine does not work on this current mutated strain, 
they could continue hammering some of those reopening plays. And, and I also want to want to clarify, uh, you know, w- with or without the vaccine, the fact that the UK is basically back into its strongest lockdown that we've seen yet. That's that's the other thing, right? Is like there is there is the effectiveness of the vaccine that's that's long term, but short term, the fact that we're going they're going back into really really strong lockdowns is the other thing to, to weigh in here, right? Because the, the the effectiveness of the vaccine is is, is a long term problem. That's that's what matters most. But for to, in the short term, you know, re, there is no reopening happening in the UK. They, they're, they're going they're going backwards. They're they're going the wrong direction. Well, we're going backwards too to a certain extent. Yeah, I, but they, but mean, they're going backwards. They're, they're going backwards faster. Because <laughs> so. I, because I, I mean, you, you know, you talked about it in Michigan, Joel. You're starting to see the cases go down because Michigan has pretty much been back to not as much as it was in March, but back to more social distancing, more lockdown. You know, schools being closed. I know, uh, even in Ontario, they closed all the schools a week early um, for the Christmas holidays, and we don't know what it's going to look like coming out of it. But you know, they did that because you know, even you know, we've been fairly you know, in Canada, we've, you know, not had as many cases as they had in the States, but it's starting to spread here rapidly as well. You know, even in the Northern town, you know, where I'm staying right now, um, we're starting to see some cases up here too. And, you know, through the summer, we were like, oh, there's two cases, there's one case, there's three cases, you know, in, in an area of 100,000 people. Now you're starting to see, oh, there was 26 cases, you know, so the numbers are coming up, even, you know, as you get, you know, away from the cities and the rural areas now. So obviously, you know, that's a concern too. But I mean, the number one concern while the markets are getting hammered is a, a mutated strain that, yeah. you know, sounds like it mutated significantly. Um, and, and London's, you know, taking every precaution they possibly can. So I just say we don't have enough information yet. And that's why I'm not coming in and just buying every dip and, oh, we're going right back up. I can't confidently say, you know, that, oh, we're just going to rip right back higher. But again, I do believe if you're buying, you know, stocks that, you know, work in both environments, that that is how I would play it. Again, I, I own most of those stocks already, so I'm probably not coming in and adding to my Amazon position or my Apple position or my Google position or you know my tech stock positions because my portfolio is a lot of tech. But if I didn't have those stocks, that's what I would be nibbling on today. Let's uh, for just a second, you know, let's just put our our blinkers on and say there was no no stimulus deal and there's no virus strain. Where we just had a major expiration in the markets, right? Uh, one of the four quarterly expirations. And a lot of times going back over those years, they signal significant turns in the market, right? Either, hey, we're just going up and we just had that big day on the Friday expiration and we just keep grinding higher into the market, you know, a lot of times. Other times there's there's key reversals in it. Yeah. And so if you I'm looking at it, I'm trying to throw out all those other factors, just trying to look at it technically. And I'll feel good at, you know, if we could get back. I mean, even, you know, if we can end a week at, you know, 3680, 3690, you know, who knows what's going to happen between now and then. Then I won't say I won't be sounding like, hey, that top. Because you put a high end on Thursday at 23, you put a high end at 24, you know, I, I will not be as confident saying that's a double top. We're going down for three months. So I think we, and it's only three and a half days of trading too. Uh, you know, Short keep week, that in yeah. mind. So if you're trading those weekly options, you're just going to watch the, uh, the, the premium just evaporate. So, um, you know, I'm just going to look at it from that perspective. From the virus perspective, Lisa and I had a pretty good debate. You know, she's looking at it, you know, firsthand. 
And to her, and we actually talked about the mutations and the different strains and stuff. And to her, what was more significant is, is the cases going down and the hospitalizations going down and the deaths going down. So two-sided coin there. Uh, we got a lot of work to do, though, to get back up anywhere near 3,700. So let's we'll see if this is actually, I mean, what would be the, would it be the worst thing in the world if we tailed off for three months into March, maybe went down to, you know, 3,100 or 3,200. Is that something that is, could happen? Yeah. I mean, that's totally acceptable. I mean, I talked about it with you and Mark last week and man, you guys bit my head off. It was like totally out of the question going down to, but that's nothing is ever out of the question. We got to right. stop. Nothing is ever out of the question when you're dealing with a worldwide pandemic. So nothing is ever out of the question. And you've always right. got to have a contingency plan. And, you know, I, I, I'm i fairly fully invested right now. So you know, the last time we were getting these, you know, sell-offs there, I was using these opportunities to buy the dip. Um, I'm not doing as much because I'm fairly fully invested. I always have a little bit of cash. But, you know, I'm pretty in. I'm pretty much in there. So I'm getting hit here on my long-term portfolio right. for sure this morning. Uh, I log into my long-term portfolio. It's going to be ugly. My trading portfolio loves this. I mean, when I trade, you know, I always, you know, just in volatility goes up, I'm going to make more money in my trading account. But my long-term investing account is going to get hit on this. So do I lighten up if we rally? Because, you know, what happens is, you know, they're probably, we still got Santa Claus. You're probably going to not go. I don't, I don't think we're just going to get hammered to the tuna down like 2,000 Dow points today. I don't think that's happening. Yeah. I, I think you have so many people who are licking their chops. At who here's a dip I can buy? Um, and you know, I don't think, you know, we're going to get, you know, but, but do you use this opportunity? If you, if you see for whatever reason, some stocks start to go green, do you use that opportunity to maybe lighten up a bit, yes, have a little yes. more cash? Maybe you do, you know, maybe I do, maybe I get a little more cash just in case this gets ugly again. I don't think it's going to though. Uh, but do I want to be on margin invested right now? No, I would be very scared if I was on margin right now. Um, I would not want to be on margin. So I would use opportunities probably to lighten up more buy the dip is still a question mark sell the rip is not in my case and obviously i've been buying the dip selling the rip and it's been working i would keep selling the rip here so if we get you know we already have ripped up from the highs lows this morning we're 30 handles off the lows uh but you know if we get half of these losses back and you know some of these reopening stocks get back to only being down one two percent maybe use that opportunity to lighten up what are you doing spencer israel you just riding this out you're young enough you just ride this out yeah he has to <laughs> yeah what am I gonna do? Time no time in the market is greater than timing in the market. Hey, there's a yeah, good where'd you get yeah. that from? Did you make that up? No. I didn't make that Warren, up. Warren Israel. No, I did not make I that up. I like that. I never Spencer heard that. Spencer I did not no. Look, I, I was underinvested for a very long time. I did a lot of buying in, in, in April, May, and June. And I'm content with that. I, I, I make I make trades in my in my trading in my, my Weeble account, which is very small, but and like where the real money is, I'm not doing anything. Now I'm sitting on a lot of, a lot of profits. I thought about maybe, you know, selling some gains to account for the losses I booked earlier in the year, but yeah. I'm just going well, to, I'm, I'm sitting on a lot of gains too. And I look at this and I was like, please get me to January. <laughs> so right. I don't have to book any more gains this year. I want to pay the tax next year, a year from now. I'm like full January effect. I'm like waiting to get to like that January 1st. And like I said, in Canada, you can strike a day early there because they use subtle dates on, you know, obviously, you know, looking at that from a different taxing perspective, if you're in Canada versus the U S but regardless, I'm not there yet. And if I'm selling anything today, I'm selling the whole one two. I'm paying the tax on it in three months and I don't really want to do that either. So 
that's you know the consideration here. But let's move on to the fire. Yeah, I just want to say you. Yeah, yeah, I just want to say you, you mentioned like you know if you see your stock unchanged today, on a day like today, if you, you see your stock unchanged and you said you know that's resistance. Okay, I wouldn't be looking at hey if on I, a reopening stock, yeah. not on like Zoom because Zoom's up twenty bucks this right, morning. Right, so right, right. But you're if, seeing this money or I mean, into I, them. I see like what do you see the probability of you know Apple going you know getting flat today? I you think know, you could see it. It's only down a buck and a half. And and this I is the type much. of stock that they, you know, see as safety to a certain extent. So I would not surprise me if you see okay. Apple. And 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 let's go to the fireworks that were Friday because yeah, let's Apple, go to that. Excellent. Amazon, Facebook, Google all Thanks. got hit. They all got hit to a certain extent because Tesla was strong and they had to make room. So, you know, we had, you know, we had you know, Citadel Tesla. saying it, we were saying it that they probably were going to hit some of the mega caps to make room for Tesla. And you did see that happen. So other things being equal, if we just had a flat day, I would think you would see Apple and some of these stocks bouncing back. So they might. But let's go to the fireworks that was Tesla, because that last 10 minutes in Tesla was absolutely just crazy. So, and everybody's asking, did you short the close? Did you short the close? (laughs) And I got sidetracked. And believe it or not, I didn't even trade Tesla. And I should have. I'm stupid. I should have just had the order out there. I got sidetracked. I had a thousand orders, other orders going. I was like trading Disney and Coca-Cola. And they're like, why are you trading Disney? You know why I trade Disney? Because I bought a whole pile on the clothes. It gapped down 80 cents on the clothes in print. So, and it bounced right back. I made a, a quick 70 cents. And I'm trading Coca-Cola because Coke ran up a buck. Like, look at the moving Coke in the last 10 minutes. So I shorted that. Um, you know, I, I was doing, there was so much movement everywhere that I totally forgot about Tesla. So I was just like, I was like, there's too much action. I never got back to it. I looked at Tesla at about 345 and it was trading like 640. And I was like, you know what? I even tweeted out. I was like, I don't know if they're going to rally it. I was like expecting that, you know, end of day, you know, the buy and balance into the close and rip it off. And I should have put my order in and then just forgot about it. But I got sidetracked and I moved on. I never came back to it. And obviously it gapped up on the close to 695. Everybody who had their short is up 30 points here this morning. I know I had a couple of people text me that they got short. Bruce, congratulations. You're listening. He got short the close. There was other people that got short the close. Great call if you shorted the close because you could have covered after hours for 20 points immediately. Right. It, it gapped. Up, it was 675 and then it gapped up to 695 on the closing print. Um, significant buy and balance. Um, a couple of people you know, tweeting at me. Again, I didn't look at it. I got sidetracked. But uh, apparently, you know, it's in tune of like fourteen to eighteen million shares. It was. It was. Do you know? Do you know why it closed? Do you know why it closed at six ninety five? Why? 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 There, it's probably a boatload of limits at seven hundred. Holding was, her down. Yeah, yeah. There was probably like just you know so many, and then uh, the people that put marketable limits at six ninety, you know, got done. But if you're thinking, oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna go seven. I know this is gonna trade seven hundred. You got a big ND on your paper when it came back to the desk. Didn't get the 700, the 695. Nothing done. Nothing done. <laughs> rip that up. Day order only. Rip up that piece of paper and throw it on the floor. Nothing done on that. So I, I, that's just 690. You would have gotten done. But we were watching it too. And who was the winner of our contest, uh, Spencer? At it, six, it, 
Joe, can you pull up the chart on Tesla so we can look at it? Because oh, looking. I put Coke. Oh yeah, Tesla instead of Coke. Coke was exciting too, though. That run up and a buck on the Coke. <laughs> I don't give it all back. Oh, Coca Cola, Tesla. Okay, uh, the winner of our of our contest was Greg Bomba. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, at the 340 uh, broadcast, we had a spontaneous contest. We asked you to email us with your guess as to where Tesla was going to close on Friday. The winner got a free 30 day uh, trial of Benzinga Pro. That was Greg Bomba. His guess was six. 675 and that was the closest we we, we got it, it it was close on it, it, it on upper up or downside it didn't matter if you're over or below but whoever got closest and it was greg bomba 675 was his guess and he got it i i'm i think i got it went through all the emails if you're if you had a guess that was closer and you emailed me. i guess 700 earlier but i guess you can't be over since this is like right i didn't i wasn't in the uh, contest either we, we weren't playing prices right rules i didn't specify <laughs> I wish I would have put my official guess on in there. I would have only been five bucks won. off because I was talking seven hundred forever. I was like, I think you could go to seven hundred. I think you could go. didn't get there. Six ninety five. Now, so Joel, does the six ninety five is this like going to be the top for a while? You know, we have precedence here. An interesting comparison, and I took some heat for retweeting it, but somebody wrote a hundred tweet, you know, uh, comparison between Tesla and Yahoo. And I was like, wow, that's really good. You know, he was like talking about, you know, how Yahoo went into the index and, you know, Yahoo before the, you know, looking at, you know, from a fundamental basis. And he was basically giving the argument that Tesla valuations is ridiculous. Again, you know, we know Tesla valuations have been ridiculous. It doesn't matter. But what I found interesting too was that Yahoo did not top out the day that it went into the S&P back in like 99. It actually went up another 100 points after that. And then it topped down. We know Yahoo went from $420 down to eight bucks and eventually got bought out by Verizon years and years later for you know, significantly lower than that high of 420. But does Tesla, is this 695? Is this the high? I mean, I was saying it, it's going to top out the day before, the day after, or the day of. 695 looks safe right now, but it's holding up pretty well today. I mean, you can say, oh, it's down 30 points. What the hell are you talking about? But I mean, it was really 675. It wasn't really 695. It was 20 points of fluff on the close. So if you look at it from where it was at 675, it's only down 10 bucks today. It's not bad. It's holding up okay. I'm just going mean, to, I put this line on here uh, when I uh, sent some levels out to a couple buddies before, and I'm just going to stick with it. I'm just going to, I'm not going to change my number because I know you get mad. I'm just going to 650. As long as this thing holds 650, then the top is not in. If you start to lose 650, get some closes under there, then it turns into resistance again, then I'm looking for a pullback. So it's just you had so much congestion there and so much trading in that area that it's still, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put the level, you know, I'm not going to say 659 or the low, whatever it was on Friday at 630. It's just like if it holds 650, and it, it's, I'd say you have to say that it's still in a major uptrend. It broke mm -hmm. out again, and it's going to clear seven hundred. That's, I'm just sticking. I'm, I'm sticking with one number, Dennis. You should like that. Again, you know, just from an indexer perspective, you had all this fluff. Does it give yeah. it back? Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of fluff. This thing could go down to five fifty and still be in an uptrend. So, what if you waited? Could you wait? Do you absolutely have to buy it at like, like being a sneaky indexer? Can you, uh, you know, unless you take. I don't know. It depends on what your prospectus says. It depends what is, you yeah. know, what, what, is, what are you tracking the S&Ps? Because there was a lot of people that bought that close. I mean, I own SPY. It kind of pisses me off that I bought Tesla at 695 
because I guarantee you, Spy had to buy Tesla at six ninety five yeah. you know, to the tune of like one point whatever percent of the index it is now. So I'm like, I got totally screwed there. Did you own Spy? Oh yeah. Long term. Yeah. Yeah. I own Spy my investment account, my retirement account. Do you oh, own yeah. Spy, Spencer, in your yeah, long term account? I, I own. Well, I own Vu. Same thing. Same, okay, so all three of us just bought Tesla at six ninety five. Why well, own a little bit? Kind of, kind of pisses you off. It's like we got screwed. We actually just bought this huge bubble in Tesla right at the high. And so I have a, <laughs> I have a huge chunk of my money in Spy. So I literally just bought Tesla at the high at six ninety five. Yeah, yeah, we, we kind of got screwed. Yep. Yep. All right, let's go. It makes, you, makes you think maybe you shouldn't index when they do stupid things like that. But I mean, how do you do it? I mean, not their fault. Is... <laughs> What's that? Not their fault. I mean, what else? Okay. Are they well, I mean, do? that's what the index is. It's our fault for being invested in a passive index that has to do stuff like that. It kind of is the S&P's fault, though, because not Spy's fault, because Spy just tracks the S&P, but S&P decided to put it in there. You didn't have to. They used, uh, there was all the pressure. Oh, how is it not in there? It's got to be in there. There was so much pressure, but it ran 245 points from the day of the announcement to you know to the inclusion so you're talking like a 67 percent rise really that's air math i don't know if i'm in the ballpark though you know 60 to 70 percent that the stock ran up into this so could it cool off for a bit the, the textbook says it should but nah, we textbooks we don't do work on tesla so textbook. this thing is just could do anything take your textbook do anything you know what you can do with your textbook. I know the textbook trades don't. Well, the textbooks have been working in some things, but I don't know about Tesla. And my eyes are tired from reading that uh, thread, man. I'm just want to tell you. You read that, that hundred pit. It was a good thread. It was good argument. Why do you think but... he did that? Why do you think he did that? He hates Is... Tesla. No, I know, but like, <laughs> can't write an article or something. I mean, well, I don't know. He's not on Twitter, so anyways, I read it I... all. It was actually a good comparison, the Tesla to Yahoo comparison. Yeah, because Yahoo went in the index, and Yahoo had the huge market cap, and it was going to take over the internet. And then Amazon, or then obviously Google showed up, ate Yahoo's lunch, and that's it. And they're like, you know, is there another? Is Tesla going to be the leader in EV? I think it is. Um, is it worth whatever it's worth here today? If it's just a car company, it's not. If it's more than a car company, then maybe, but. Anyways, we 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 know since talking fundamentals and Tesla, they matter they matter zero here. What matters is just you know the FOMO and the story, and the story is still intact. And there's going to be more positive stories. You know, is Elon Musk going to talk a flying car eventually in a tweet? Probably. I mean, there's so much potential for more story here that it's hard to just did, be short did, this thing for more than a day. Did you see the thread that Yahoo outsourced its advertising business to Google? Did you see that? In one in the thread. That's funny. That was in the thread. Too. That's what they eventually which, did. Which thread was? I'm trying to find this thread. Where where can I? I, I tweeted it out. So if I you did. go to my Twitter account at Triple D Trader, I retweeted this thread. And here I'll tell you what it was about, so you know what we're talking about. Bloodstream. It was Christopher Bloomstrin, who I don't know Christopher, and I don't follow him, but I started following him after this because I was like, wow, that's just you know some good analysis. And I mean, whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it, the person put a lot of work, and there's a lot of numbers through this whole thing. You know, and, and this is what people don't realize. You know, when you're comparing it to Yahoo, Yahoo was, if you would go back to 1999, Yahoo was everything that he talked about. It was what was running the internet. There was no Google then. You know, Google was in its infancy. It was all 1997, 1998, 1999. It was all talked about Yahoo. Everybody talked about Yahoo. There was other search engines, but you went to Yahoo to search. Yep. And everybody talked about it. It was running the internet. It was going to be the most valuable company in the world. The valuation was trading like 400, 500. It wasn't even making money. You know, it was trading, you know, just, you know, 100, 200 times sales. It was just crazy. 
And the stock went and ran from, you know, wherever it was up to $475 a share. And obviously after that, in a, in a year and a half after it topped out and we realized was that it, it wasn't going to be Yahoo, it went down to eight bucks. So it lost 98.3% of its valuation and never came back. So never, it came back a little bit, but, you know, we know it got sold eventually for spare parts to Verizon for 4 billion, not the 130 or 150 billion it was worth at the peaks. So it goes to show you, if you pick the wrong stock, they don't always come back. You lose 98% of your money in that. That's why you never want to have all your eggs in one basket. It was the best story back then, and it fell apart. Tesla's the best story today. Could it fall apart? It could. It doesn't have to, though. They make real cars. They're making money now. Maybe it becomes the most valuable company in the world. But if you're buying it now, you have to say it's the sixth most valuable company in the world. If you're buying it now, you're basically saying it's going to be, you know, if you think you're getting three, four, five people are thinking it's going to 5,000, is it going to be the most valuable company in the world? I don't think it should be, but you know, in this market, who the hell knows? I'm no, not going to participate in that, though. I'll tell you, I wouldn't. I'm not in it. I'm not planning on putting in the long-term portfolio. I will trade the hell out of it. It's fun to trade, but I will not put it in my long-term portfolio because it just it just doesn't make it, any sense. It just wasn't. It just it. wasn't Yahoo, though. It, it pointed out like uh, some other stocks, like Global Cross. Every stock. Yeah. Walmart was- traded with a PE of like sixty. It was Walmart. And, you know, this is a box of you know, retailers trading with a PS, everything, every single thing, Joel. The, the market, what Spencer pointed out, S&P multiple in the peak of 1999 was 45. It was 45. That's and that was on earnings that were firing on all cylinders. We're at 38 on a crappy COVID year. So, you know, where our earnings are probably going to bounce back if we get past COVID, you know. But anyways, we, we went on a lot. Nike, Nike. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's ramble. Let's go, let's go stocks. Let's try and do two more stocks in the next 35 minutes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nike had earnings after the close on Friday, a little unusual, but nonetheless, it was a beat. Yeah, as you would Friday. expect. 78 cents was their earnings per share versus 62 cent estimate sales of 11.2 versus 10.56 billion dollars so they beat on the top line beat on the bottom line digital sales no surprise up big 84 percent year over year growth uh triple digit growth in north america double digit growth in the emerging markets uh huge beat as you'd expect for nike let's see that chart Oh, oh boy, so long uh, without the chart. Here you go. Got a nice pop on this one. Come on, Zoom. My Zoom is somewhere around here. Dennis, give your shtick first here while I pull up the uh, 145 bucks up eight bucks. I mean, I'm not it's buying all it. it's new all-time highs. You can't short a stock making new all-time highs. It's like the number golden rules. My golden rule. Don't short stocks making new all-time highs. That's how you get the hell run over you. So I can't short it because it's making a new all-time high. Tomorrow. Maybe it gives me a top, maybe it gives me a level, maybe it gives me something. But, you know, who knows? They might just grab this by the horns and say this is a lockdown play because people are still going out and doing stuff. and They're buying the Nike runners, you know. They, they can see this as a lockdown stock. They can see it as a reopening stock. It's been given a pass, though, even through, even if you look, this was, was never hammered like the other retailers. It was, you know, hammered a bit in March when they hammered everything. But it bounced back quickly because they saw this as somewhat of a lockdown stock play, too. So I can't even, you know, try to fathom where Nike is going from here. It's a new making new all-time highs, though. I don't want to be short. I'm not going long. I'm not going short. It's just a curveball, hardball to head here. Uh, full disclosure, um, I needed a new pair of tennis shoes, and I did it by Nikes for the first time in, like, 100 years. I bought, uh, they're called a- Hookah, H-O-K-A. 
No idea. I, I, I love Joel's disclosures. They're either I'm long or I, I bought the, the product or I hate the Joel product. Joel discloses everything. If he has a rel- if he has, you know, even Nike pair of shoes, I have two pairs of Nike. Full disclosure, I have two pairs of Nike shoes in my closet, but I'm not long the stock. Twenty years ago, twenty years ago. Over disclosure is good though. Yeah, twenty years ago he bought a jacket from Coles, and so full disclosure, you know. No, no Coles from jacket. No, right, no I think Coles. it's in my closet somewhere. I did buy a pair of shorts. I'm very unhappy with from there. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I'm very unhappy. Why? Uh, they they don't work well in the Peloton. Okay, <laughs> moving on. I'm, okay, this is terrible. Tangent. Keep Nike. us going. Away from Nike, we got. Hey, the banks. Shorts. Can we go to Never? the banks? I'm trying to, Dennis. Stop. Stop. Levels. Uh, High. Dennis, that was all your fault. Uh, That that high, you haven't hit 147 yet. 146.65. You've leaked, but not a ton. This is just going back to the last time Nike did this on a big earnings report. It did fade. It did fade. Like you never, like you saw, I believe it was like 134 in the pre-market. You never even saw that in a regular session. So that's, you know, but that's what happened last time. I keep a real close eye on that pre-market high. I know Dennis does not short all-time highs, but if this ran into the 147 handle, like 147.30, and then came back down to it, and you had a chance to lean on like the 15-minute high, then I would, because if I was logging any weekly options, I'd be like hitting the sell button, especially with the short week. But uh, go ahead. Next stock. Yeah, oh, banks. banks. Let's talk to banks quickly before Michael Pactor joins us in a couple minutes. Uh, we had the the Fed's annual stress test result Friday after the close. No surprise. Everyone passed. Uh, and they did so well that the Fed is is ending the restrictions on buybacks. So buybacks are now back on the table. Dividends still have a cap on them. But buybacks are back. So JP Morgan announced one on Friday. They announced a $30 billion buyback. I imagine we'll get more from Wells yeah. Fargo and Bank America and City and Goldman, if not today, in the coming days, I, I would assume. I think there's going to be a trade here. Um, they, this is going to get this would have been the story today if we're not for the vax, not not for the mutated strain of COVID. Um, this could fly under the radar most of the day. I think after the bell, you're going to hear some buybacks and announcements from some of the banks. So it might be a play. Um, I might be playing, you know, buy towards the end of the day on some of these banks. And, you know, it might be a play to flip them tonight if they do get some buybacks and dividend raises. I think you'll see it after the bell. So that's how, you know, I'm just trying to predict the news headlines. And I, and obviously we've already heard from JP Morgan. So, you know, maybe you don't hear from them, but a lot of these other banks we haven't heard from. So it could be some strength. That's why you're seeing strength ahead today because people are anticipating this trade already. Uh, but if, you know, we carry through and the weakness, you know, from the market holds up and, you know, they start to give some of this back, I think there could be a play to buy some of these banks on the close today. Wow. Did you get, I mean, did you just stick your, your nose out at 30 in the after hours in Bank America? I mean, when's the last time we saw 30? I had that one. I had a couple. Yeah. Um, I almost got run over on this. I knew they were coming. The stress tests, like the, the, I knew this was coming, and um, I canceled. I was making markets a little bit there, and I was like, okay, I can't do any banks. Don't be out there in any banks. And they ripped the banks like I've never seen them rip the banks before. I was like, I did not see that coming. Not to rip them as much as they did, like you said. Like you look at that Bank of America, twenty-eight and a half to thirty. I was actually long Bank of America into that just in my trading account. I flipped it for a buck in like a minute. Um, but then you look, you know, and they've given it, they gave it all back at one point in time. So that was the opportunity. Yeah, wow. Like you get the dips on the banks here today. 
not my long-term account, but in my trading account, I'd be looking to buy the dips on some of these banks. So I think there's more good news coming for some of the banks. Again, these are not long-term trades, though. Higher interest Short-term rates? Trades. We got Michael Pachter here. We do. Yeah. Let, let me uh, bring him on here. Michael Pachter is, of course, an analyst at Wedbush Securities, uh, covers media and video games and all that good stuff. Michael, Good morning. Good morning. Uh, your sector, your area of coverage has been one of the hottest areas of the market in the past couple weeks, maybe longer. Uh, what's behind that? Uh, people who have nothing better to do than consume entertainment. So, you know, the, the government and that nasty virus have, uh, you know, conspired to keep people indoors and having fun instead of outdoors and having fun. And so indoor activities, you know, I would imagine condom sales are up as well, but you never know. <laughs> well, there's no public. Is, is there a trade on that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe PJ. I don't think Trojan's uh, public. Proctor Gamble, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, let's dive into some specific areas uh, of your coverage. Uh, we, of course, have the, the new consoles that, that uh, just went live a couple, I guess, right around Thanksgiving. Demand obviously through the roof. Supply can't really keep up. You know, to that, uh, I think GameStop was the only place that even promised they would even have any new consoles in stock on Black Friday because there was just not enough supply to keep up. Yeah, the the, the supply constraints were uh, intentional and artificial. Um, the console manufacturers have to plan production, and it's expensive to reserve production capability capacity so you know let's just easy numbers let's just say they think they're going to sell 12 million they're going to make a year they're going to make a million a month period and so the number of consoles available early on are the number of months of production prior to launch and then the restock will be a million a month and they're you know they're so they literally probably launched with two or three million consoles each they're probably producing about 1 million a month. I mean, Sony might be a bit more aggressive making one and a quarter million, but they're not going to go out and, and reserve production capability to make 3 million a month because they won't need it once demand and supply get in balance. And, you know, it's expensive to reserve capacity and it's different than making an iPhone, you know, where, where Sony, I'm sorry, where uh, Apple plans obsolescence every couple of years. So they do kind of, balls out production runs of, you know, whatever, a hundred million a month or whatever. They've got giant numbers. Um, these guys, it's, it's really dicey and they're not making much money on the console. They probably are only making 25 bucks if that. So what's the difference? You know, why spend extra to make more and lose money on every unit? They make money on software. If Sony thinks they're going to sell 15 million consoles a year, demand will stay high and production will, you know, will catch up. So it really isn't a big deal, but it sure does cause guys like us to talk about it on financial programs. So well, it, that, it was, that was the question though. Like it, should investors really care about console sales? That was my next point. You're saying no. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't have you loud enough. I, I have to turn up your volume. I didn't hear what you said. But my question was, you kind of answered it, but should investors really care about console sales? Sounds like uh, not not near term. I mean, long term, yes. And you know, it's highly likely this cycle will be smaller than the last one. Um, we have the ability to stream games and play on other devices without a console, and so there is somebody who is going to stream games on Google Stadia or Amazon Luna, and who will ultimately not buy a console. We're seeing a giant spike in high end PC sales 
And I don't think that's because, you know, our employers told us to work from home. I think that's because people who are working from home decided if I'm going to buy a PC, I might as well buy a gaming rig and they're doing it. So you're seeing mostly private companies, but you're seeing these giant spikes in and go look at Logitech. Um, they make high-end gaming peripherals, Corsair, high-end gaming peripherals. So you're seeing that people are buying that stuff. So I think you're going to get a big shift from console to PC, big as in 10 million people will buy, fewer will buy consoles over the next five years and will buy PCs. Another 10 to 20 to 30 will stream. So that's going to replace console sales and or expand the market. Um, all really good for the guys who make the content not as good for Sony and Microsoft. Microsoft's pretty smart. Um, they're shifting people over to something called uh, uh, Game Pass, where you pay you know, 15 bucks a month and you get all the games you can consume, and they have a lot of content. So a lot of people doing that, and you can play those on any device. Uh, you can play on your laptop, desktop, um, or console, and ultimately you'll be able to play on your phone. So really, I mean, it, the, the industry's strong. I wouldn't make a play on consoles per se. Got to ask you about the stock newest in your coverage from last week. Fubo, you initiated it uh, and outperform, gave it a $40 price target. Talk us through that rating. Yeah, it looks like it's going to hit that today. Um, Fubo <laughs> Fubo is an over-the-top over broadcast television provider. And so the, the difference there, you know, we typically think over-the-top being streaming. So we think it's Netflix, on-demand, whatever you want to watch, you can watch. Fubo is broadcast TV. So it's not on demand when you want it, it's by appointment um, on demand. So if you're watching, you know, The Masked Singer, you're going to watch that when it's broadcast, period. You can't just pop on anytime and watch this week's episode. It's not archived. Um, so think of it just like linear television, but instead of receiving it through a cable box, you're receiving it through an internet connection. The reason I like it is there are tons of services that do exactly the same thing. It is a commodity service and nobody makes money on the service. But Fubo has sports, which lays on top of them a, a, lever, a layer of expense. They have to pay for live sports feeds. Where they're particularly smart is that their sports is not limited to just domestic broadcast. So they, you know, they have something beyond CBS and uh, Fox playing NFL football on the weekends. They have English Premier League soccer. They have Bundesliga, La Liga. You know, so they have Spanish, Italian, every soccer league, I think just pretty much every professional soccer league. And when they get those minutes from a foreign broadcaster, they don't have to carry the advertising from the foreign broadcaster. So they're positioned wow. to sell advertising into those hours viewed. And that means they make higher advertising revenue than their competitors. Their competitors just haven't figured it out and or don't want to screw around with it. Um, so if you think of Comcast, Comcast makes eight bucks per subscriber per month on advertising. Fubo is only at about six or seven right now. They will zoom right past Comcast because they have so much, what I'm going to call proprietary content, content that's not ad supported in the US. And so, you know, the company thinks it's going to $20 per, per month per user. I have modeled them going from, you know, six to eight to 10 to 12. And even then they get to profitability. So it's actually a pretty interesting play. Um, and the trick's going to be, does the sports offering help them, you know, outperform their peers? Do they capture market share? I think they do. So I have a buy. 
Um, but it's hard to value because they're not profitable yet. So it's just you know slapping a revenue multiple on it, coming up with a number. What do you do, Michael, when you come out with a buy? You know, and you obviously you know last week and the stock's trading twenty eight, and you put your price target of forty, and the stock gets there in four days. Like as an analyst, obviously you know these moves are not normal. What do you do in a scenario like that? Do you raise yeah, your price a, target, or do you how, how do you handle that? What a great question. Okay, I can't front run, so I'm not going to talk about the, that stock or my target. Yeah. Um, one of my pet peeves as an analyst is when my competitors just blindly raise targets every time a stock goes up. And the poster child for this was Netflix. When Netflix went from you know 200 to 500, it happened in like a year. And so you had a bunch of analysts with $220 price targets, and a week later they raised to 240, and a week later 260, and a week later 280. My personal view is they look like complete idiots that that if if it was worth 220 last week, what happened in the, in the last seven days to make you raise your target? So the answer to your question is I personally really struggle with this because I have a gigantic aversion to looking like an idiot. And I'm using that word to apply to myself. I don't want to look like, hey, I just raised my target because the stock went up. Any investor can see that the stock went up. So I tend to have stale price targets because I'm not sure what to do. That happened with Unity. You know, they were they were at about 100 and my target was 125. I pounded the table, reiterated, said it was worth 125. They're at 150 now. And it's only been a few weeks. And, you know, I hope I can come up with a reason to, to raise my target, but I haven't come up with one yet. So I haven't done it yet. And I'll think about it. I don't know the answer. That's a great answer. And we, we, we have a term for it. It's called analyst chase price. And, uh, you know, that you could tell. And I think... Dennis, is one of his trading strategies is, you know, stock has a good day, a good earnings. Hey, so there's going to be analysts. That yeah. Got to raise the price targets the next day, but not uh, Michael Pactor. Uh, Michael Pactor's on the line with us. He's an equity analyst for Wedbush securities. He does his own podcast, the Pactor factor. Uh, I know this isn't in your area of coverage, but uh, you're talking streaming. And if you don't want to comment, it's fine. But how about uh, how about the House of Mouse Disney with their with their streaming content? And I know you covered Roku and those things. So can you can you comment on that at all? The the potential growth? No, yeah, of course. Sure. Go um, ahead. You know, the, the I think there's a fundamental problem with the big uh, content producers offering a streaming service, and, and obviously Disney has Hulu and ESPN Plus and Disney Plus. Um, you know, NBC Universal has Peacock. Comcast has Peacock, um, AT&T has HBO Max. And that those services, you know, CBS All Access, those services create a, a an inherent conflict between programming that's made for the broadcast network and the broadcast network is their bread and butter. You know, ABC and ESPN generate tons of retransmission fees for Disney. And the more that those guys, those content creators, shift their content away from uh, from their linear programming to their streaming on demand, the less likely a subscriber is going to remain a subscriber of the, of the conventional cable broadcast. And that's another reason I like Fubo. Um, so you just saw Disney Analyst Day, they announced you know, 10 new Star Wars series for Disney Plus. That's great. And you know, obviously as a Disney Plus subscriber for $7 a month, you're in heaven because you're gonna get a ton of content. But how long are you going to remain subscribing at 100 bucks a month or more for cable when you know, ABC gets no new content? And I'd say you're closer to cutting the cord when you see that. You see all this stuff you want on Disney+. Plus. You just lost your job because of COVID. 
and nobody's going to travel for six months or eat in your restaurant or whatever you do. And so I think that they're accelerating cord cutting, which is another reason I like Fubo. But the answer is uh, Disney Plus is a monster. It's going it, to it is going to pass Netflix like Netflix is standing still, um, particularly because Disney is going to ultimately put their movies and Fox movies on Disney plus in that HBO window. And, you know, Fox is part of the HBO um, contract right now. That's Fox universal and uh, gosh, oh, Warner brothers. Um, so, you know, I think Fox movies in the next eight or 10 years slip away from HBO max and on Disney. So Disney plus you, you have to be a fool, you know, not to belong, not to be a, a member. If you can, if you are paying more than, $10 a month for entertainment, for video entertainment, you are going to be a Disney Plus subscriber. They just have too much stuff. Uh, so some, some questions from my chat here I want to get to, Michael. First one is, can we get an update on Zynga? Yeah, I love Zynga. You guys named your show after them. Um, and you know the the uh, the company, dog. The whole company. The whole company. Mark, <laughs> Mark Pincus's dog was Zynga, Z-I-N-G-A, by the way. He just changed, he's changed the I to a Y. So you guys, I, I really think you guys ripped them off but we'll see it's ben's ben's dog zynga um yeah zynga's awesome zynga zynga has a you know has two types of uh, investors long and short and and i'm not kidding it's almost equal um the people who love it are almost outnumbered by the people who hate it and you know i'm on the i'm on the love side um the people who hate it honest to god they just don't get it and i don't know what to say it, it happens all the time um that's true i think of netflix people who love it don't get it so you know people at zynga who hate it don't get it um they think that that mobile games is a fad they think that any game that's doing well is destined to go to zero in time and you know i think that if you look at the movie analogy you know the movie franchise analogy james bond yeah they'll, they'll never make another one again i mean come on that's just stupid mission impossible they'll never make another one again um so no Mobile games have long lives. They've only been around, you know, since this century began. Um, the longest, the oldest ones are maybe 10, 12 years old, but they're still going strong. And so if the core doesn't fade, it doesn't take much to add a new game here and there and grow. And that's where Zynga is. And Zynga has been masterful at consolidation. So they've been buying companies that have one or two good games in the system um, they've ridden those games rise and they have acquired the teams that made them. And one thing we know for sure is guys who make good games tend to make a second good game and a third. So Zynga's got new stuff coming out from the studios they've purchased and this, they're just growing like crazy. So I love them. Capital L love, love, love them. Uh, I think that stock hits my $16 target really soon. I'm certainly in the next six to eight months and it's about nine something. So I really like it. I think it's a great place to park funds. What about the use of programmatic advertising? Are there any companies, public companies that are sort of inserting themselves as the advertising middlemen on streaming? Um, I mean, public, I don't, I don't know. Maybe trade desk. I don't know who does it uh, public, um, but I would think the trade desk would be one of those. Yeah, but I don't. I don't cover them. Say I don't know. I don't know that sector well. Yeah. Um, it's certainly not going to be Zynga. So I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, okay. the, the big outlets, Facebook kind of does it itself. But but again, you know, somebody can um, insert themselves in the middle. There's yeah. always going to be room for ad agencies, whether they're digital ad agencies or program programmatic ads, or they're trying to get you know national campaigns. I don't know. Right. Uh, last one, Michael. Uh, off topic, yeah, not really. How 
freaking amazing was the finale of Mandalorian on Friday. Did you watch that? How was uh, the Mandalorian? Yeah. Did you watch the season two finale? I did. Um, yeah. I'm, was, if, if you haven't watched it, turn us off right now. I'm sorry. It was amazing. Yeah, and I will say it's a good advertisement for a uh, – uh, the, there's a private company called Epic. They make the game Fortnite. They also make the Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. And the Unreal Engine's used by the Mandalorian production staff to create all non-human characters. And so I'm not going to spoil it, but I think that the character <laughs> that emerged at the end, I don't know if that was done with, uh, with Unreal Engine or, or some other software, but it was pretty impressive. It looked, it looked very real to me. And the thing that's odd is, you know, and again, I'm not a Star Wars expert, but I think Mandalorian takes place way after the Star Wars movies. I think it's it's much, much later in time. So people call, you know, Grogu baby Yoda, except he's like 300 years um, after Yoda. It's, and so that other character is also in the, out of place. So I can't really figure it out. Well, it's in between the original trilogy and, and, and the sequel trilogy. But uh, yeah. So right, can, but- I throw, can I throw GameStop at you real quick? Of course. Yeah, I mean that man, that thing it had the retreat. It's like a, a clock working this thing. It had the nice run up, pull back after earnings, and right back up. Just uh, I know you've been bullish on this one since five, six bucks. Any comments on GameStop? Um, they're pretty they're pretty smart, I think. You know, they bought back a lot of stock in the six dollar range. They did a Dutch auction. And so they went from over ninety million shares down to sixty-five. And now they're back issuing shares, but, you know, above 12 or 14. So, you know, buy low, sell high, essentially, is what they're doing. Um, I think that the even though you hate the dilution from an equity offering, um, they are making sure that they have enough cash to be net debt, you know, zero. Um, They're already there. They have no debt or they have no net debt. They have cash that exceeds their debt. Uh, I think they wipe out their debt in the next year or so. And the open question is, you know, can they stay profitable so that they don't slowly, you know, erode the value value and go go to zero? Um, I think the market's telling you, yes, they think they can stay in business. The console makers let us know this about a year and a half ago when they said they're going to put optical drives in the consoles. That means that we're going to buy physical uh, inventory. We're going to buy physical games. Not everybody. And, you know, people who download games find it convenient and easy. People who buy physical copies intend to trade them in or they intend to do something else like give them to their friends or display them on their mantle. And that's just not going away as long as physical discs exist. And Sony and Microsoft told you back in 19 that they would exist for the next seven or eight years. So I think GameStop's got seven or eight more years and we'll see if they can reinvent themselves, you know, to continue to thrive beyond that. But with 65 million shares, it's not particularly expensive. You know, it's a billion dollar company. Um, they don't need to generate much more than a hundred million of free cash flow to justify that valuation. And it looks to me like they're going to get there. Our Michael Packer is an equity analyst at Wedbush Securities. Michael, we appreciate the time today, as always. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Uh, let's go to, um, let's go to Intel here. I, I want to cover Intel. This one moves a lot on Friday. I don't know what you do here now. First, you have the headline that Apple was making its own chips. Now, from Friday, Microsoft coming out saying they're also making their own chips uh, for PCs uh, and servers. So, moving away from Intel chips. Uh, this is bad. This is I, bad. I, I got spooked out. And I, I don't know why I'm getting an echo there. I got spooked out there, and I, I actually held a small piece, but I had bought it. We know long-term portfolio around $45, and the thing ran quickly to 53 in like a week and a half. It was a ridiculous move. Um, I sold a piece, and then 
what happened was, um, you know, I got that Apple headline and then it, it had a rally for the next three, four days after that. And I used that to lighten up. So I actually got out of most of my stock around 51. Now it's 46. And the question is, do I rebuy the stock I just sold? Maybe at 44, but I don't know. It's, it's scary when, you know, this is obviously a stock that has been out of favor for a long time. And now you have Apple and, or, and Microsoft both coming in trying to eat their lunch directly. Um, it's tough. I, th I think you bounce in the 44, 45 area just because that's been support for a long time. Uh, just trying to do the retracement there and it didn't come up real well, but let's call it 44 to 52, eight point move, right? Four, oh, 48. Let's see if it hangs in there. Like 40, you know, I know we're down here at 46 and a half, but if this could get in here, hang 46 and a half, 47, hang out for a couple days. Uh, maybe go back up and test the high. I think they're going to have to come up. And you mentioned this a while ago, Dennis, about, um, you know, the mobile eye uh, like know, acquisition. Yeah. There's got to be something, you know, they're like, they obviously they let AMD eat their lunch and, you know, that the, the Nvidia, chip market. And AMD, is, yeah. It's yeah. The, the King. So yeah. unless they pull, I mean, they got, they got to pull a new, new, new trick out of the bag and then they'll be like, Oh, it's a, it's now an EV play. And yeah. you know, the market they, gives no love to that mobile eye. And that's why I bought it originally with somebody on the show was pointing that I was like, that is a good point. And, you know, obviously it ran um, up pretty significantly. I, I honestly, I should probably rebuy my stock at 45. If if uh, if it comes back in there, I should probably just put the order out there and forget about it. I think you'd be fine with Intel 44, 45 long term. But right now it's out of favor and it's been out of favor for a while. And the whole market is, you know, rolling over here to a certain extent, too, obviously, today, which isn't helping it. But I do think you got that 44, 45 support. I do think, you know, valuation is still attractive in this. I don't see their business going into a decline. So it's kind of like a cash cow. They got a decent dividend. Um, it, it's just been such a dog. That's the only thing you're kind of buying the dogs. And, you know, you want the dogs to start barking. And then, you know, they get some love like they did in November when all the stocks that were, you know, laggards became leaders and leaders became laggards. I'm not so sure we're going into that type of market, though. But I, I, like, I do like the 44 area. Okay, let's go to some tickers from our chat. Got a few minutes left in our show. Let's start with AT&T. They had a big, what qualifies as a big movie premiere over the weekend in 2020 uh, with Wonder Woman. Also, New York Post reporting that AT&T is dissatisfied with offers for DirecTV. We know they're trying to spin that baby off. Good let's luck. Here. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, what are you guys seeing on the chart? It's got support down here at 29. It's given back its entire run. Was that what was the move? Like the two day move? Was that from like the possibilities of selling direct TV? Was that why that stock went from 30 to 31? The no. What, what was that move? What, no. Why was that move in there? Uh, they reached a deal. Well, they being HBO reached a deal with Roku to get HBO. Uh, no, no, but that was afterwards. The HBO Max thing was afterwards. That wasn't that for sure because I tried to trade on the headline and got zero bounce. <laughs> I bought AT and T and I was like, why is this not getting a lot? Roku goes up 10 bucks and AT and T goes up nothing, and it. Oh, and I lost. Are you are, are you are you referring to like two weeks ago then? Two green candles, eight and nine. So I'm looking. December the eighth and December. Yeah. 9th. Okay. Yeah. You're right. That, that stock was... went from twenty nine to thirty two. Yep. Then that was direct. That was Directv. There is yeah, uh, yeah, headlines about some the value of some of their bids, but they, as the New York Post and the New York Post is generally pretty good with their M and A headlines. They're reporting that AT and T is not happy with the bids they're getting. So think about what Michael Pactor just said, and you think about the cord cutting and. You know, the main reason that I keep a cable subscription is that I want to watch sports. 
And if you're going to start streaming your sports and being able to get it over a Fubo, what the hell do you need even a cable subscription for? I mean, so that's terrible for the DirecTV business. They still have their cellular business, but we know there's competition coming there too. Cellular plans are going to continue to get cheaper. I will say right now, I've said this before, you will not be paying $100 a month for your cell phone uh, five years from now. You're going to be paying significantly less. That is going to go down. That's um, just from competition. There's new, there's different solutions coming where you're going to get it a hell of a lot cheaper. So it's like they're on full attack on all their businesses. Can HBO Max be the difference to drive them like Disney with Disney Plus? No, because you want to know why? HBO Max is not Disney Plus. That Mandalorian that you just talked about, and we won't give anything away with you know who the, the finale, but that was phenomenal. Like the whole thing, the whole series was just excellent. The, se- the first season was awesome. The second season was twice as good. And the content that they can produce and the spinoffs are going to do all these different Star Wars series and all these, you know, that AT&T doesn't have none of that. What the hell's HBO Max got? What is HBO Max? What franchises do they have that would be like, oh, I'm so excited. I got to go subscribe to HBO Max. What, I, I can't think of one thing. Well, they have, what do they have? They have Game of Thrones spinoffs. And I, I would never short HBO and their ability is to produce a hit TV show. That's what they do. But is that Disney <laughs> Plus? Because Disney Plus was the difference for Disney. And AT&T, all their businesses, other businesses no, that's are in decline. That's the problem. So well, I don't know why we're getting this echo. Um, somebody's yeah, mic is open. There's like a second. We never have that problem, but somebody's got a second mic open or something. I don't know. Um, anyways, I'm just saying AT&T is not. And I thought, you know, with the Disney Plus love, I was like, maybe I'll try this AT&T. I even said on the show, maybe you get down dirty. You know what? I got stopped down under 30. I tried to put that on. I thought maybe they get some love here. And, you know, it didn't happen. The dividend's awesome. 7.16% dividend is awesome. But is it safe? We don't, I don't even know if I can say it's safe. So it's, it's hard to find the bullish thesis for AT&T unless HBO Max picks it up a lot. And because all their other businesses are going to continue, you know, DirecTV is just a mess. They're not going to be able to sell that and at least not making money on it. Um, I just don't see why you want to own AT&T. Georgia. Pulling back, I'll just say halfway. You know, you had that move from... 2020 uh what was that wow they got in 26 handle got to 32 not a perfect line there 29 30 29 40 i would i, I like it here i like it here under 29 uh you know just a technical basis trying a technical basis you're not support yeah I you give me the support but what's uh, the driver what's we the need driver? a story what what's the catalyst that's driving at&t in 2021 why does at&t is it hbo max it's the only thing i can think of unless there is cooking up something else I well, see a cell. I see a declining cell phone business. Yep. I see declining direct TV. Well, the point is they're trying to get get rid of that. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to get rid. Of, yeah, but what do they? So they're, they're going to put all their eggs on HBO Max. Is that going to make the difference for them? Because I tell you, HBO Max, I do not believe is Disney Plus or Netflix. So I don't know. You can't subscribe to all these things. You know, maybe you're going to go Peacock on Comcast. But at least Comcast has the parks. You know, they've got a few other things. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd rather own Comcast and AT and T. Again, parks? all of these businesses. Like, gonna, like, like, Comcast, has like, Comcast has one park. Well, Universal <laughs> Studios is a pretty awesome park. Oh, uh, okay, okay. But they have own Universal. They own like they have. They can produce some content. I guess AT and T owns Warner. Brother, I mean, HB, yeah, they own Warner. There's a lot going on here, but uh, for whatever reason. Investors have decided it's not even for whatever reason. It's for obvious reasons. The cell phone business is going to start going in decline. You're not going to pay a hundred bucks a month for your cell phone. Everybody's paying a hundred bucks a month. It's nuts. 
and maybe some people are getting deals, but I mean, the average person with their iPhone and they, you know, when they got a, they're paying a hundred bucks a month and I don't think you're going to be paying that in the future. Yeah. I, I just bought a new, a new iPhone. I guess my stimulus check is going going towards that. Is it coming from me? I don't know. I think some other yeah, thing is open. Yeah. Let me. Uh, open. You think Michael left his? Because it's only been on since Michael came off. No, but he's gone. Yeah, I'll card. try that. Show. All right. And in, in any case, we're about to wrap up. Uh, that's our show. I know there are more tears in our chat. I've written a few of them down. We'll cover those uh, at the 340 uh, broadcast. I wrote down Boeing. I wrote down a couple more. I want to thank our guest today, Michael Pactor. Thanks to all of you in our chats. I want to bring up our disclaimer to remind you that, as always, all the information and content from our shows for informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. I forgot to bring this up at the start of the show, so got to get better doing that. But there's our disclaimer. Hit that like button. Show us some love on YouTube. We appreciate that. If you subscribe, you'll get notified as soon as we go live on, on our channel. We've got SPACs attack at 11. Mitch is back for that. We've got Joel and I back at 340. Everyone have a good rest of your trading day. Catch our podcast as well. We're on every major podcast platform in case you missed our show. And that's a wrap. Everyone have a good rest of your day. We'll talk to you again in the afternoon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.